text for this morning's sermon is Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word now, I ask that you grant us wisdom, spiritual wisdom, that we would be overjoyed as we consider the grace that you've shown us and the gospel that you've given us. Uh, Lord, I pray you would work in our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the most lonely places to be is to hold an opinion that is unpopular and to be standing alone with that opinion. When you have a large group who thinks one thing and you think differently, this is a vulnerable place to be in. This is a place that Martin Luther found himself in as a Catholic monk who's reading his Bible and beginning to discover that he understands the gospel differently than the church that he's serving in at the present time. What... uh the, of the Catholic clergy of his day, as Luther looked at them, he realized that they were going to do whatever would be popular unto man. Uh, last week, at the end of, of uh, verse 10 in, in Galatians 1, remember what Paul said? Paul says, for I'm not 
For I am not now seeking the, or for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In the same way, Luther could say, the moves I'm about to make, the papers I'm writing, am I writing these to please man? Because here's what he said about the clergy of his day. Luther said, they allow the blasphemes and wicked judgments of the adversaries contrary to the Word of God against their own conscience that they may keep still the favor of princes and bishops and not lose their goods. He says, the clergy of my day, even against their own conscience, are willing to accept blasphemies in order to keep the goods of this world. And then he says this, but we, because we endeavor to please God and not men, do stir up against us the malice of the devil and hell itself. We suffer the reproaches and slanders of the world, death and all the mischiefs that can be devised against us. Luther's opponents would say this, quote from Luther, It is impossible that Christ should suffer His church so long time to err. That's a weird way of saying. It's impossible that the Lord would let His church function wrongly for so long. If, if you're right, Luther, art thou alone, say they, wiser than so many holy men, wiser than the whole church? The bishops of Rome and the other monks and the clergy of the Catholic church were looking at Martin Luther saying, are you kidding me? Do you really think that you see the truth and this church with all these important people in these hundreds of years, you mean to say Christ would let His church stray for so long? Can you feel how difficult it would be to stand in His shoes? And to how much conviction you would have to have reading the Gospel in the book of Romans and being so enlightened that you're willing to stand and say that salvation is by faith alone, not faith plus works. Paul was getting the same sort of tension that Martin Luther had. What they were saying of Paul is, who is this guy? What gospel does he have that's going to trump what we have in Judaism? In Moses' law, what does this guy have? And Paul's argument, if you remember in our text last week, was, you really think that I'm doing this to please man? And in our text that we're going to look at today, he fleshes this out. Look how foolish this argument is. What is this gaining Paul before man? 
And so his first argument is the, the main argument of this text is I preach God's gospel. It's not mine. No one else taught it to me. This is God's gospel. These are his words of good news. It's not mine. And we see that right away in verse 11. Look at what he says. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is not Paul trying to figure out who to please or what benefit he can get from this. He wasn't taught it by anybody. Nobody came to him and said, hey, Paul, advance our cause here. Go teach this. Paul learned this gospel not from the persuasion of any man, but from Jesus Himself as God revealed Himself uh, to him. Christ blinds him with His glory on the road to Damascus and he's blinded. He's on his way to kill Christians. And Jesus asks him, why are you persecuting me? And Paul realizes that he is in fact running headlong against God's plan of salvation. His authority didn't come from other apostles. It came right from God. Remember, why does this matter? Does it matter whom you get your news from? I mean, we we experience this every week. Well, did you hear what happened? Well, who said that? This news organization? The source matters. And Paul continually says the source of this Gospel is from God. And here's his argument. His first argument is, look at who I was. Essentially, this argument goes like this. I don't look like me anymore. He says, look at who I was. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous I was for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was a young and rising star of Judaism. He was the superstar in how far he was advancing. He would have had people clapping their hands all around him at his zealous beliefs in the traditions of the Father. He was willing to promote the killing of Christians so that God's way would prevail. 
We learn from Acts 5.34 that he stuttered, uh, that he studied under one of the greatest teachers, Gamaliel, and that he was trained as a Pharisee. And he sought to please God in every area of his life. We have a bunch of texts that show us this. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul says, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. His greatest action in Judaism, in his mind, was that he was willing to even persecute these people that are disrupting the faith. This minority party out there that's causing problems. In Acts 22, starting in verse 2, as Paul is sharing his story after his arrest, here's what he says. Here's what it says. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death. That's Christianity. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear witness of me. From them I received the letters to the brothers and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul had certificates to go arrest Christians. He stood there at Stephen's death and the people that were killing him, he was giving them the authority to kill them. In Philippians 3, when he wanted to put on display how much he could boast in his flesh, how much he could get the praise of man, here's what he says. He says, look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, watch out for these dogs that want to make you get circumcised and make you think that's how you become children of God and who put confidence in the flesh. And then he says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blamelessness. What he's saying is, I'm as good as it gets when it comes to religion of the flesh. If he wanted to get praise from man, he was already on the road. He was already becoming a superstar in his day. He viewed himself as Elijah lined up all the prophets of Baal and Elijah killed them for the glory of God. Paul viewed his life. Look at me. I'm a modern day Elijah 
willing to slay those who are attempting to pervert the faith of God. In 1 Timothy 1.12, here's how he speaks of himself. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. When God looked down and saw Paul, what did He see that He would say, I'm going to appoint him to His service? Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because... You ready for this? I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul's saying, how do you know Jesus Christ came to save sinners? Because he found me faithful because of my sinfulness. He came and saved a sinner. That's how you can know he died for you us sinners all because of his grace he's saying look at who i was before my conversion he's saying look at the glory i could have gotten from men but i look totally different now he he's essentially saying if i were still seeking to please man i wouldn't have changed like I have changed. Remember, he's writing the church to the churches where he just got stoned and escaped with his life. It's a poor argument to say Paul is preaching the gospel to get glory from man. The second thing, his second argument is this. Look at who turned the lights on. He's essentially saying, Look at what happened. Well, before, before we do that, I, I just want to give one point of application after the first point. You see in your notes there, humble yourselves for you can be zealously wrong. Isn't it amazing that the Apostle Paul could think he was so well doing the will of God and he was so zealous and he's willing to do anything for God, but he was sincerely wrong. And that ought to just cause us to be humbled and to read God's Word recognizing that we may find out that we in fact don't know everything and that God's Word can teach us. What would have changed the Apostle Paul? How could he have known? If he would have known the Scriptures better, he would have recognized that Christ was the Messiah. So it's just a warning. We all naturally, our default pride mechanism in us just thinks, I'm right. But Paul is 
proof to us that we can be zealously wrong. So then he says, essentially, look who turned the lights on. They're saying this is by man, and he's essentially saying this doesn't look like man's power. Verse 15, But when He who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Let's read that again. But when He who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. He is pointing towards the person you're looking at right now has nothing to do with Paul deciding to change. This has nothing. His apostleship has nothing to do with himself seeking it out. Rather, he's using the same types of words that the prophets in the Old Testament used to describe their call. Listen to Isaiah 49.1. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, He named my name. Isaiah is saying, before I was ever born, God called me. Jeremiah 1.5. Here's how Jeremiah says it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. In the same way, Paul is saying, this isn't my Gospel, this is God's Gospel. And He called me to be an apostle before I was ever born. Tom Schreiner says this, no one deserves to be called by God. All of us, without exception, rightly stand under His judgment. Still, God calls us effectively to salvation by His stunning and transforming mysterious grace. Let us then be filled with thanks and praise for His merciful and transforming grace. Let us marvel that He has saved sinners who are filled with hatred towards Him. In other words, we cannot take credit for our salvation. Ultimately, and we finally are ultimately and finally, we did not choose God, but He chose us. We are no better than others. We were not wise enough to see what they didn't see. The Lord opened our hearts to believe when we consider that the Lord saved us by His grace, by His grace our hearts will be filled with praise and thanksgiving. Sovereign Grace saved the Apostle Paul. When we realize this, it'll humble us and cause us to worship and be thankful. The Christian Gospel is not look at what God did. He died for you according to His grace. And now He'll save the good smart ones who figure out that they must believe. Some people look at God's grace like this. is You see that cross? I did my part. 
Now we're, I'm going to find out who's the good ones. Who's going to see what, what happened on the cross there and figure it out? And then those are the ones I'm going to bring to heaven with me. Was the Apostle Paul on that road trying to figure out what good was in that cross and what God was doing in that? No, the Apostle Paul's salvation came when God overcame his hatred for the Gospel by grace. This is why Jesus says things like this, John 6.44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written the prophets, and they'll be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. The Pharisees are saying, you're not of our Father, Abraham. And Jesus is saying, you don't, you don't come to Me because the Father hasn't drawn you. All that the Father, everyone who has learned from the Father comes to Me. Here's how He says it in John 10.13. <clears throat> he says this, He flees because He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's giving the sheep illustration in the pen. The hired hand, when a thief comes, will run. But what is? But he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I laid my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock in one shepherd. Jesus says, I'm going to go speak out in my sheep. They will hear my voice. Because then in verse 24 of the same chapter, John 10, it says this, So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus says, answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Paul's saying, look who changed my life. It wasn't me. This is not my gospel. I didn't decide to change in this way, but before I was born, God set me apart. God called me. If you're trusting in Christ here today and clinging to Jesus, you are not smarter than your neighbor who rejects Christ. Rather, you have been shown mercy. And God has opened your eyes to understand the Gospel and belief. This is one of the most humbling realities that you discover when you start reading your Bible. See, when you get saved, you think, I did it. I figured it out. 
Now God's going to accept me because I'm good in a sense. And then you read your Bible and you realize, I would have never figured it out. My salvation was actually the same, just like the Apostle Paul's. When I was sinful and a, a rebel, God saved me. When I was hating God, God's mercy flowed in. So his argument is, look at who turned the lights on. He's saying, you really think I left my superstar status over here where everyone's giving me pats on the back for getting stoned by the power of man? Look at how God called me. It's His Gospel. And for after Test one. There we go. All right. Hopefully I'm yelling loud enough. I'm not going to go back through point two. <laughs> All right. And then he says, look at my calling. He said, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that, why was his eyes open? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's saying, God called me to preach His Gospel among the Gentiles. So it is true that Paul was called to preach Christ uh, among the Jews as well, but especially to preach Christ among the Gentiles. Uh, in Acts 9.15, uh, we read this, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Acts 22, 21. And he said to me, go, for I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. And then here's what he says. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Remember, he's saying this gospel came from God and no one else. And he didn't immediately consult with anybody, but actually he began to preach uh, right away. Uh, if, if in Acts 9.19, we read this. Um, <clears throat> so right after... He regained his sight. Then he took food and he was strengthened. For, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc on Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chiefs, priests. They're saying, can we even trust this guy? But he's saved and he immediately goes into the synagogue and he preaches the Gospel. He didn't have to get taught it by anyone. Uh, that's his point. I didn't immediately consult with anyone. I didn't go to Jerusalem. Schreiner says, Paul did not verify the truth of revelation he received from others, nor did he immediately plan to take a trip to Jerusalem 
to discern whether the apostles in Jerusalem will validate the revelation he received. He did not need nor desire apostolic uh, imprimatur on the gospel he proclaims. Since he received the gospel from Jesus himself, he did not need anyone else to confirm it. And so he's just continuing to point to the fact that this gospel is from God. And then he said, and I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul spent three years in Arabia. And some people say, well, he went there and he learned for three years the gospel. Studied the Old Testament text. Learned the gospel before he started his ministry. But that's just not true. He preached the gospel right away. And then when he was in Arabia... We find out in 2 Corinthians 11, the governor under King Eratos, who is the governor over this region he went to, is so upset with him and chasing Paul down that they have to let him out the window. The only explanation for that would be that while he was in Arabia, he was preaching the gospel and getting himself in trouble. And so Paul's saying... Look at my calling. It's His Gospel. And He called me to preach it. It came from Him. And then, we consider our calling. If God has called Paul, saved Paul, to preach the gospel. Well, we're not apostles, but what do we know of our calling as Christians? If this is His gospel, it was revealed to us by God. He enlightened our eyes. What other explanation do we have of why we believed and someone else didn't? Other than God supernaturally opens our eyes to love Him. So now, What? What are we called to do but to go and proclaim the Gospel, to preach the Gospel? I don't know if you know what the word preach means. What it means is to proclaim, uh, to herald news from the King. Sometimes we think of preaching, and I hope that you don't experience my preaching this way, as like a bunch of like-minded people get into a room and you just teach facts back to a group of pupils who are gaining more understanding and more understanding. Now, there's an element of teaching that comes with my role, but Paul was called to proclaim, to herald the King's Word down to His people. The good news... You see, there's difference of the Apostle Paul gathering people who think like him and say, let me show you this, or let me debate those of you who disagree with me. And Paul coming in and saying, do you want to know what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ? Do you want to know the good news that is proclaimed to 
all sinners, that salvation is by grace alone. Look at my own conversion. Look at my life. This didn't come from me. It came from God. He was proclaiming good news to people who needed to hear a word from God. And you and I are called to be heralds for Christ. Proclaimers. Those who say, hear ye, hear ye. Here's what the King says. Not so much to be debaters, but to speak to the souls of broken, hopeless people and tell them of their hope they can have in Christ. Our call is similar to the Apostle Paul's call. No, we're not apostles. Yes, we are disciples, ones sent out to proclaim the Word of Christ. So this is God's Gospel. You can rest in the hope of the Gospel because it isn't Paul's. No man invented it. No man taught it to Paul. But God taught it to Paul. Jesus Christ taught it to Paul. Jesus Christ taught it to His other apostles. The security you and I should have as we face God and we face death and we face whatever we'll face in this world, the reason why we should have security is because the good news that's proclaimed to us is from a source that is 100% reliable. And the good news is eternally good news. It's eternal life. It's resurrection from the dead. It's all my sin and shame wiped away. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And as we do that, this is a sign and seal that we love the Christ who gave us His Gospel. We're His people. When we drink this grape juice and eat that bread, we're saying we're Christ people. It's that Gospel we're a part of. And when we come before this table, it's a remembrance of the covenant sacrifice. This is red for a reason. It represents blood. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they disobeyed God, remember what they did? They made fig leaves to try to cover their shame and their nakedness in their sin. And you might not realize it, but if you read the text closely, what does God do at the end of, of uh, chapter 3? He makes garments for them out of skins. The first death we see of an animal, the first covering of nakedness and sin is by blood. 
So when we come here and we eat the grape juice, or we eat the bread and drink the grape juice, we're being reminded that we are saved by a blood sacrifice. Man is sinned. Man must die for sin. And Jesus Christ became a man and shed His blood so that the covenant that you and I have with Him is a covenant in His blood. We're reminded that our forgiveness of sin came at the cost of Christ's life. And then, as we partake in this meal, we're reminded of the presence of God which we take for granted. If you were Adam and Eve, your nightmares might have gone like this. You might have had nightmares where you heard the serpent say, take and eat, take and eat, eat this, eat this. And they ate, and what happened? God drove them away from His presence out of the garden. Now that they were sinful, they were driven out of the garden. But yet in a moment here, I'm going to give you the words that Jesus Christ gave the Apostle Paul, which says, take and eat. And that taking and eating doesn't represent being pushed out of the presence of God, but rather being brought in. So as we share this meal together, we get to glory in the fact that in Christ, he is present with us for all eternity. And then finally, as we come before, take this meal and, and you're served this meal by your brothers or sisters in Christ, we're reminded that there's going to be another meal. There's future glory. In Luke 12.37, Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes truly i say to you he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them there's going to be a day where you're invited this supper is pointing you to the supper of glory you're going to have with christ where christ puts on a servant apron and you recline at his table in his presence and Jesus Christ comes and serves you. What a glorious celebration as we get to look forward in faith and remember what Christ did for us in the past. Those who are going to serve, if you please come forward now.